Maya. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Speak to us, open our hearts, give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're starting this series that I've titled Ecclesia. And Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It actually means literally it actually means an assembly a gathering okay and that word was used by jesus himself when he was talking to his disciples at a place called caesarea philippi so we would look at all that and see what this whole thing is about and where we'll be taking um where it will be taking us through this series matthew chapter 16 verse 13 to 19. Zoni, can you please read for me? Um, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, tell you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen. So this is Jesus. He asked his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. I want you to remember that name, okay? Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? Right? Who do people say that I am? And Peter said, some say, or they said, some say you are John the Baptist. And they say you are Elijah. They say you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he asked them directly, yes, that's good to know what others are saying about me, but who do you say that I am? See, it's important that we always have a personal revelation of who Jesus is. You can't always write on the group's revelation or what other people know Jesus to be. You can't always say, oh, Pastor Cyril always know Jesus to be this. What do you know Jesus to be? You have to have a personal revelation of who Jesus is for yourself. He has to mean something to you for yourself, not what he means to your dad or what he means to your mom, or what he means to your pastor. But what does Jesus mean to you? you know, said, who do people say that I am? Great. They answered it. Yeah, they say you are this. Pastor Cyril has been teaching. He says, yeah, you are the son of God and that you are this and that you are this. And he's been teaching us and you are this and that. Jesus is still not satisfied with that answer. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Because he expects each and every one of us to have our own personal encounter with him. Amen? And that's why you shouldn't be lost in everything that we do as youth, as we talk and have fun and do everything together. Don't be lost in all of that, thinking that that is it. You have to have your own connection with Jesus. Amen? Now, yeah, when, when they answer that, 
he said to him, after Peter answered that you are Jesus, you are the son of God, Jesus said to him that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. In other words, there was no way, Peter, you would have known this if my father had not revealed it to you. What that is saying is that actually it is not possible to know God if he doesn't reveal himself to you. And that is why you every day must make it a point to pray and say, Jesus, help me to know you more. Help me to know you more. You have to make that your personal prayer. I pray that all the time. Let me know you more. I want to know you. I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. And I was telling you, I want to see Jesus. It's true. I still want to see him. I'm waiting every day. One day Jesus will walk into my room. Wouldn't that be excellent? Wouldn't you like that, Anel? You are praying and Jesus walks up and sits beside you and says, Yeah, yeah, here's your prayer. All answered. These are the answers to all your prayers. Be awesome. You know, Jesus promised to us that he will manifest himself to us. It's a, it's a promise. So you have to pray, Lord, I want, to, I want you to manifest yourself to me. He will do that. So he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed it. In other words, God reveals who Jesus is to us. It's a, reve it's a revealed thing. It's not something that you study and know. God has to reveal it to you. That's how come there are professors who study the Bible cover to cover, but they don't know Jesus. They can teach you the New Testament. They can teach you the Old Testament. As you go through university, they can teach you from the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. Because it's not studying it that makes you know him. It's a revelation from God that makes you know him. Amen. Right, um, Jaden? Mm -hmm. God has to reveal himself to you before you will know him. All right. So let's look into detail what ecclesia actually means. Ecclesia um, was used in the Roman system to refer to an assembly of citizens. And there are two things I want you to notice. An assembly and then citizens. Okay. Who is a Canadian citizen? Yes, um, Maxine. Oh, oh, I thought you were asking. Uh, we were oh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm sure most of you are Canadian citizens. Who, who was born in Ghana here? None of you. Oh, you were born in Ghana? Oh, interesting. So I'm not alone. I have a Ghana partner. Do you remember any, any place in Ghana? No? Nowhere. Interesting. All right. So, but then, if, if you are asked to define what makes you a Canadian citizen, Gabriel, what would you say? You have to live in Canada, right? But there are people living in Canada who are not Canadian citizens. You have to be born here. So, being born here will make you a Canadian citizen. That's true, right? If you're born here, you will be a Canadian citizen. What else? I, I wasn't born here, but I am a Canadian citizen. I have to be what? I have to be documented. Hey, Judah, what makes somebody a Canadian citizen? You have to be legally registered here. You have to be legally registered here. 
as a Canadian citizen, like he's saying, you have to be documented as a Canadian citizen. Now, what is the difference? What, what makes being a Canadian citizen relevant or important as opposed to not being a Canadian citizen? Yes, Maxine. You can work, you can vote. There are certain privileges that you have that another person doesn't have. Like with my Canadian passport right now, there are many nations I can go to, I don't need a visa. But with a Ghanaian passport, you need a visa to go to some places. Like if I'm going to the US right now, with my Canadian citizen, I don't need a visa. But if I only have a Ghanaian passport, I have to go to the US embassy to apply for a visa to go there. So there are certain privileges I get by being a Canadian citizen. Yes, Maxine. Oh, I was going to ask why do you have to go to the United States Embassy in Canada? Because if I have a Ghanaian passport, it doesn't allow me to enter the U.S. I need the U.S. to approve of my entry through a visa. But a Canadian citizen, because of the relationship Canada has with the U.S., I can just drive with my driver's license through the border, they just scan my thing and I go in. I don't need to go to the embassy to apply, to go for them to review the application and all of that. You know, you, you haven't, how many of you have traveled outside of Canada? Traveled in general. Right, okay, good, 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 good. Most of you have traveled. So, because you are Canadian citizens, most of those travel makes it easy. You just go through. Otherwise, if you didn't, you are not Canadian citizens, you have to apply for a visa and all of that stuff. The point here is, an ecclesia is referring to an assembly of citizens. So citizens are people who identify with Rome, right? Roman citizens. Roman citizens in those days they were like people who today will be like U.S. citizens because Rome was the world power, the superpower of the world at the time, like sort of like U.S. is now, right? And so to have U.S. citizenship gives you whole lots of privileges that somebody in Ghana wouldn't have. It's the same in those days. Somebody being a Roman citizen had certain privileges. And to be an ecclesia or the word ecclesia originated from there, referring to citizens who are duly convened. So duly convened referred to them gathering together in the name of Rome. Okay? So when a group of Roman citizens, as small as two or three, gather together anywhere in the world, they don't have to be in Rome. They gather anywhere in the world, it constituted what they call the coventus, and the coventus was a local expression of Rome. What does this mean? We are Canadian citizens. If we, myself and Judah, go to Ghana, would you like to go on a trip to Ghana with me? Okay. I'll pay for your ticket for free. Okay. He's not sure. He's not, he's not sure. But let's say we go to Ghana. And we are two. The very fact that we are Canadian citizens... Wherever we gather to do any work, anything related to Canada, we are gathering in the name of Canada, right? Even though we are not in Canada and we're in Ghana, the laws of Canada apply wherever we are. I'll give you a clear example of the Ecclesia. 
You know the Canadian embassy in Ghana? There is a Canadian embassy in Ghana. Okay. I've been there because I had to go there to come here. The area where the embassy is, the moment you enter there, it is no longer seen as you are in Ghana. It is considered that you are on Canadian grounds. Right? And so, if I have even done anything to the Ghanaian government and they are looking for me, the fact that I enter into the Canadian embassy, they cannot just come for me there. They have to go through the Canadian government and talk to them to release me from there to them. So the laws of Canada apply on the embassy grounds, not the laws of Ghana. It's the same everywhere, any embassy, anywhere. The laws of that land apply there, even though it's not that place. So that's sort of the idea of the ecclesia. Wherever two or three have gathered in the name of that nation. So in the Roman system, when two or three people gather in the name of the king, who was Caesar, they gather in his name, the authority and power of Rome backs them. So what a clear example is found in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul, he was a, he, he was a Roman citizen. He was, he was an Israelite by birth, but he became a Roman citizen through naturalization, like sort of I am. I'm Ghanaian by birth. I've naturalized to become a Canadian citizen. So Paul also was a Roman citizen, and he at one point was arrested and beaten, put into jail. Now, that is against Roman law. In Roman law, you cannot arrest somebody and beat them without giving them a trial, like how it is here in Canada. You, even if the police catch me killing someone, God forbid, right? And the police is right there and they saw me doing it. They can't just take me and put me into jail. They still have to give me a trial and take me to court. I get my lawyer and we talk back and forth and they find me guilty or not guilty. Like yesterday I read in the news, very sad story. A 13-year-old girl was murdered in the U.S. by her friend. Yes, it was a sleepover. Stabbed her multiple times and killed her own friend. That's why you have to be careful who you call a friend. Sad, sad story. Her friend killed her because of an argument. They just were quarreling, had an argument, and she killed her with stabbing her. Now, as I read the news, I was trying to, ah, is, they should put the person's name there. But no, they're not putting the, pers the, the one who killed. They put the name of the one who died, but not the one who killed the person because she's a minor. So they have to protect her. And not only that, they still have to give her a trial. So she has to get a lawyer and they go in there to argue back and forth. I will not be surprised if in all the trial, they still release her and say, oh, maybe she was not in a mentally good state and they let her go. It's funny, but that is the law. You see, the point here is, the point here is that in the Roman law, you cannot beat someone without giving them a trial. And so this Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel 
not in Rome. It was somewhere, um, I think, in Jerusalem. I'm not entirely sure, but not in Rome. And the Roman soldier who arrested him beat him. And after he had beaten him, Paul said to him, how is it that you, are, you beat a Roman citizen without giving him a trial? The moment he said that, the, the soldier was alarmed. He said, what? Are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes, I am. And he was so afraid. He said, I am so sorry. He told his soldiers, no, 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 leave him. Let him go. I'm so sorry. Please just let it be here. Because he knows if Paul were to take it up to Caesar, he will be in big trouble. You cannot beat him without giving trial. Why? Because the laws of Rome applied where Paul was. And that's the whole idea of the Ecclesia. Okay? What's the significance of it? If you look at the temple, in those days they had a temple where they do all the sacrifices to God. And they also had a synagogue where they go and gather to meet. So the synagogue, like, where, like this place, right? they gather to meet. With the church, what we call church today, is like a building where we gather to meet. In those days, they called it a synagogue. Or they had a temple, which we don't have the temple these days because we don't do sacrifices. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, okay? So what we have today is more like synagogues, buildings where we gather. Now those two, those are static. They don't go anywhere, right? We don't take the church, we don't take the building away with us. But the ecclesia, which we call the church, is not the building. It is the people, right? And the people ask, Wherever we go, we take the church with us. Wherever we are, where two or three are gathered in his name, you know, Jesus said, there I am with you. He was actually talking about the idea of the ecclesia. That wherever two or three of you will gather together in my name, my authority, my power, my law, my rules apply there. So right now as we're here, heaven is here, fully backing us. Jesus is here. All the angels are here. You don't see them, but they are here. They are fully backing anything that we decide to do. Do you get it? We have heaven's full backing. And that is what makes the ecclesia powerful. Because it is, with, it is buildingless, it is mobile, and the intent that Jesus had was not that we will just be confined to these four worlds, and come here every Sunday, sing, dance, clap, and go home. That's not the church. The church is us going to where people are and making impact where people are. Are you following? Ima, you following? So let's look more into detail what Jesus meant by you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my assembly, the gathering together, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. What is the gates of Hades? Hell. Hell? Hell? What do you think? Gates of Hades, what do you think? Hell? Princess? What is the gates of Hades? Hell. Now, I want an answer other than hell. Laurentia? <laughs> Don't say hell. The gates of hell. <laughs> gates. Is it not hot in here? 
Gates of Hades. One second, guys. So, Gates of Hades. Hades is the Greek equivalent for Sheol. Right? And they both represent or mean the underworld. Are you following? What is Hades? The underworld. The place of the departed dead or spirits of the dead. Okay? That was what they... That was the word they used to describe the gates of Hades. Where those who were dead had gone to. Okay? Now, we know... So when you say... It's used sort of interchangeably in the New Testament with hell, with hell, um, Hades being hell. Now, there is a subtle distinction, but for, for the purpose of this series, let's say it's the same thing, okay? That's where the spirits of the dead depart to. That's how they understood it, the gates of Hades. Now, I want us to look at what Jesus actually had in mind when he was talking to them about the gates of Hades, Okay? Where did that discussion happen? Where did that discussion happen? Caesarea Philippi. Okay. Caesarea Philippi was a location where the locals, the people of that area, they refer to that place as the rock of the gods. The exact place where Jesus stood with his disciples to, make, to have this conversation with them was called the rock of the gods. Okay, and, and it was for a reason they called it that way because it was a cave that had a temple in it in which they worshipped a Greek god called Pan, which was a goat god, right? It was a Greek god called Pan, and they worshipped... How many you already know about Pan? Peter Pan. <laughs> Peter Pan. They worshipped a Greek god called Pan, and the city's pagans believed that it was the great abyss which made the entire cave a frightful doorway into the underworld. They believed in that cave they had the temple of the Greek god Pan and they believed that that cave was the entrance into the underworld. That, that was where the spirits of the dead would pass to go to Hades. So they called that place um, the rock of the gods. Okay. And, and refer to it as the gates to Hades. Now, they did a whole lot of evil things there because it was a temple place where they worshipped this goat god. They would engage in sexual rituals, even to the extent of some of them having sexual intercourse with goats. Yeah. So, it was a very demonic evil place right you can just imagine they had all sorts of rituals with music sexual orgies um whole lot of things sacrifices anything demonic that you can imagine happened there so caesarea philippi was a place where they worship they worship other deities too not just pan but they worshiped other gods Echo, Galerius, Nemesis, Fertility Goddess. Like, so if we want to imagine the evil that happened there, just think of any place that you think is evil in this world and multiply that like 10 times, 20 times. 
they had all sorts of evil happening at Caesarea Philippi. It was believed because of the extent of evil that was happening there, that was how come they believed that this place was actually the gates to hell, the gates of Hades, that this was the door into the underworld. Any questions so far? Okay. So the question then is, why would Jesus pick such a place to take his disciples to teach them something? Why would even Jesus go to a place where no Jew, no, no Jew would even think of going? Because it's such an evil place, no Jew would want to be there. They feel that it would defile them, right? Would you go to such a place? Hey, see? If I say, youth, we're going on an excursion to a shrine in Guatemala where they worship idols. Would you want to go? Yeah? Because you won't go to the shrine. You'll go and have fun somewhere else. But anyway, that's just by the way. The point here is, why would Jesus go to such a place? Who, who can attempt to answer that? Why would Jesus pick such a place to teach them a lesson? Now, just to complicate it, Jesus would actually have to go out of his way to go there. You know, it's two different things if um, I am on my way to Brampton, and on my way to Brampton, I'll have to pass through airport and um, steels. And at airport and steels is Caesarea Philippi. And as I'm going to Brampton, I just stop by there and I teach my disciples a lesson, right? It's, it's completely different. You would then not be able to say that, oh, he intentionally picked that place. But actually, he intentionally picked that place because if you look at his movement, he was not anywhere near Caesarea Philippi. He had to go out of his way to take his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And why do I say that? If you look at the map, you see where Tyre is, see where Caesarea Philippi is, and look at where Bethsaida is. Let's look at what the scriptures had to say about these three locations. Jesus started off in Tyre and Sidon in Matthew 15. Now the scripture we read was Matthew 16, right? The gates of Hades. So in Matthew 15, Jesus was in Tyre with a Canaanite woman. And if you know, if you've read the Bible about the Canaanite woman, this was the woman who came to Jesus saying, my daughter is sick, can you heal her? And Jesus said, I can't take the food of the children and give it to the dogs. And the woman said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table. And Jesus said to the woman, great is your faith. I have never seen such a faith in Israel. Go, your daughter is healed. And in that very moment, her daughter was healed. Right? So that happened in Tyre. From Tyre, Jesus journeyed to Bethsaida. That's quite a distance. Journeyed not on car, on foot. And in Bethsaida, that was where Jesus healed many people and then fed about 4,000 people. Is it called fed about 4,000 people with seven loaves and how many fishes? Seven loaves and few fish. This one, it didn't tell us the number of fish. There were two times that Jesus fed people, 
miraculously. One was 5,000 people. He fed them with what? Five loaves and two fishes. And here, he fed them with 4,000 people with seven loaves and few fish. Amazing. That's amazing miracle. Now, he finished that in Bethsaida. Now, Jesus, you know Jesus, he's called a man of what? Galilee. He actually lived around that area in Bethsaida. You see his hometown there, Nazareth, down there. So he was already home, right? Why, why would he bother to travel all the way to Caesarea Philippi just to tell them what we read and come back down home? To tell them, who do people say that I am? He just wanted to ask them that question. Who do people say that I am? And he thought to himself, no, I can't teach them this here. Let's go to Caesarea Philippi. And they get there, and then he asks them, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, uh, they say this, they, you are this, you are this. And Peter says, you are Jesus, the son of God. And says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And then he said to them, and I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Why would he have to go there? Why couldn't he say that to them in Bethsaida? Yes. Uh huh. No, his disciples. The conversation we read, he was only having it with his disciples, his the twelve apostles, only them. It wasn't like the people, the crowd. It was only the apostles, and so he, they were all with him in Bethsaida. He could have just told them there. Why does he have to journey with them to Caesarea Philippi to tell them that? Also, he told the disciples in Caesarea Philippi. Right. He, he journeyed with them to Caesarea Philippi to ask them the question, and after that, they came back home. Why? Any guess? So that they can build the church on that rock. So they can build a church on that rock. Okay, close. Good point. That should give all of us a hint. But, I mean, at least that suggests to you that there is something intentional that Jesus wants to convey to them. Right? Something intentional. And that's what I want us to not miss. Okay? Don't miss this. In everything that we're talking about, don't miss this very important lesson. Yes? Um, I think he's trying to say the church isn't meant to be in, like, not like the brightest area, but like where you're comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. That the church is actually meant to be in the most darkest of places. That was the whole point of the lesson. That was the whole point. You see how churches now, it's the exact opposite of what Jesus actually intends church to be. Church is not the building that we see. Church is us journeying to a place like Caesarea Philippi to make an impact. Do you get it? And that was why when Jesus walked on earth, you know his nickname? He was called the friend of sinners. Because he liked to go where the sinners are, to impact them. And that's how come the prostitutes would look at him and give up their prostitution just to follow him. Because he went where they were. Okay? So let's not jump ahead of ourselves. But clearly you could see Jesus was staging the lesson. He was intentionally staging this lesson. The gates of Hades represent Satan's domain, where Satan's 
concentration of demonic activity was at the time. The rock of the gods, the Caesarea Philippi, the temple of the Greek god Pan, where they did all sorts of demonic and evil things, right? And it was a rocky place. No Jew even wanted to go there because it was known as very demonic. But Jesus took his disciples right in the face of death and the power of darkness just to teach them what this thing we are calling Ecclesia actually is. He was saying to them, I said to you, you are Peter. You know, Jesus was trying to play on the, on the words there. Peter means rock, right? It wasn't saying that I will build my church on Peter, like the Catholic interprets this scripture to be. It's a wrong interpretation of it. So they say Peter is the first pope. No, it's not like that in the Bible. You see anywhere in the Bible that says, and Peter is the first pope? No. He was the one that was, um, appeared to be outspoken amongst the disciples. So it appeared that he was the leader. And the point here is, Jesus was having a, a play on the words that your name is Peter, which is rock. But on this rock, I will build my church. The question I have for all of you is, what is this rock? Who, who can attempt to answer it? Yes. The earth. Which earth? The whole earth? You mean the whole earth? Okay. Yeah, that's close. That's close. Yes, Vanessa? Is it the rock of the gods? Yeah, exactly. You're close. That's not that you're close. That's it. The rock of the gods. The rock on which they were standing. That was how come he couldn't teach them that in Bethsaida. He had to take them there, standing on those rocks where the devil has built his stronghold, and say to his disciples, it's in this exact place, on this rock, I will build my church. It's not saying that in that physical location per se. He was teaching them a lesson that the church is intended to stand up against everywhere the devil is having his activity. That is where the church should be. Trying to invade the powers of darkness. And why? You can't do this without power. And that's why Ecclesia becomes important because Ecclesia backs us with heaven's authority. Just like the Roman citizens who gather together somewhere else and the power and authority of Rome backs them. When two of us, let's say myself and Zoni, we decide that we are going on outreach in downtown Toronto where the gangsters are. Right? The, mo the moment that two of us decide that we are going, guess who is going? It's the church that is going there. The moment the church is down there, heaven's authority is fully behind us. Fully behind us. And because the devil knows that power that the church has, he deceives the church to confine themselves into buildings. Don't go there. Oh, we are scared to go. But the devil is actually scared of us coming there. Because he knows the moment we go, it's no longer my authority or Zoni's authority, but it's actually heaven's authority that is invading his domain. And when that happens, the people that he has put in bondage there are about to be released. You get it? And so the whole point of the Ecclesia is for all of us, you and I, to realize the authority we have when we band ourselves together. Two or three. You get it? Two or three of us gathering ourselves together. Any activity that we decide to do invading the kingdom of darkness, 
Now, the devil is no match for us. And that was what Jesus had in mind. Because the moment we do that, Jesus is right there with us. When we say, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. The demons just scream and get out. Because it's no longer our authority. They see that we are carrying the authority of heaven. Yes, Irina. Sorry? If you go by yourself, is heaven not backing you? Not necessarily. So, for instance, like, let's take um, any missionary. Let's say one of us wants to be a missionary. The church, which is us, we gather together and we pray for you. And we say, we are sending you to go to Guatemala. To go and impact the people who are involved in voodoo over there and turn them to Christ. You are going alone. But because we sent you, you are no longer going alone. You are going with all of us. Do you get it? Aha. When you go alone, for instance, you are still not alone. Wherever you are in your school, you are still not alone because I'll be praying for all of you. The fact that I'm praying for you joins me with you. The fact that your mom is praying with you joins her with you. Do you get it? So even though we are individuals, wherever we are, we are never alone. We are all united together as one church. And the thing that I want you to get is church is not about dressing and coming to church on Sunday and going home. It's making impact where evil is darkest, where the devil is destroying people's lives. Us making impact and turning them to Jesus. Amen. Now you see, in the Bible, there are many metaphors or comparisons made with the church. The church is described as the bride of Christ, right? Where Jesus is our bridegroom. The church is also described as the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head of the body. Okay, the church is also described as the flock of God, and Jesus is our shepherd, right? The church is also described as the household of God, a family, and God is our father. You get it? Now, the church is also described as the temple of God, which is like a building, Okay, it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you? So we are described in all of these many ways. The other way that we are also described as is that we are the army of God. And this description of the church is something that we want to understand what it means for us to be described as an army. You see, an army are people who are ready to face death. If you are not ready to face death, will you join the army? No. No, joining the army is not for fun, right? If you are joining the army, it means you are ready to face the bullet at any time. Otherwise, you are not a good soldier in the army because you will put the other soldiers at risk. If there is danger and all you can do is to run away for your life, when you could have stood with us and would have overcome the enemy, but you ran away and the enemy now overcomes us, you have affected our lives. Like, just last week I was saying to my manager, we're talking about safety at work. And the discussion came about who are the people that should be on the first responders training. And we said, you know, the people that we train to be first responders, it's not enough that we just train them to be first responders, but they should also be people who are able to respond, right? Because I don't want to train Sarah as a first responder, and when the chemical explodes in the lab, 
she would just run away and leave me there. When I actually need her to respond to me. Do you get it? She sees all the blood over my face. And she's like, oh, I'm scared. I'm scared of blood. And she runs away. And she's the only one trained as a first responder. And she's going to leave me to die. Do you get it? It's the same with joining an army. If you're joining an army, you should be ready to die. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, and he does not deny himself and hate his own life, he cannot follow me. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you follow him, you have to even hate your own life. What does that mean? Does it mean that you shouldn't um, um, spend time on yourself to look good or take, care, take good care of yourself? No. What he's saying is, there shouldn't be anything that hinders you from serving him. Not even your own self. Okay? So, it means that you are ready to face any danger it is for the glory of Christ. And that is the army. You think it's trivial to go and stand by the gates of Hades, where the devil's activity is most intense, and say you are going to invade that place. No. You have to be someone who's denied yourself. And that was why right after this conversation, if you read, when you go home, read the whole chapter of Matthew, right after this conversation, Jesus began to talk to them about how he was going to die on the cross. And Peter was trying to rebuke him, saying, Oh, no, you are, never, you are not going to die. You know what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, Get thee behind me, because you do not desire after the things of God, but after the things of men. Why? Because what it means to be part of God's ecclesia are people who are not afraid to die. They are people who are soldiers in God's army. So that when we say, for instance, what are some of the things that people are afraid to do? They think, oh, if I do this, I will die. Fasting. No, if I fast, I will die. No, 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 you won't die. You are willing to go through what it takes for another person to be saved. If your friend, who is a drug addict, who is thinking about suicide, wanted to cut herself, right? If you going on a fast, for half a day, a full day, saying, Lord, I have the authority as your ecclesia on earth to invade this person's life for Jesus. I see the devil trying to destroy my friend's life, and I am not allowing it because I have that authority to refuse the devil from destroying somebody's life. And so I'm going to fast today, and I'm praying for this person, every hold of the devil over her life, let it be broken in Jesus' name. I tell you, your friend's life will turn around. Your friend's life will turn around. But if you love yourself, say, hey, me fast? No, if I fast, my eyes will be wizzy, wizzy, wizzy. So I can't fast. <laughs> if you are like that, you see that you are not really denying yourself. When we say, let's gather together, we're going to have half night or all night meetings as youth. Once every month, we just want to pray for our friends to come to Jesus. We are going to battle in the spirit realm because we know now that Jesus wants us to take the church to where the devil is having his activity. So we are going to gather together. We are just going to pray for our friends. 
What does it mean if you are going to have half night? It means you are going to deny yourself of what? Sleep. Right? There are a lot of Christians who are not praying because they can't wake up to pray. They just want to sleep and sleep. Amen, princess? She knew I was going to call her. She started laughing already. <laughs> they just want to sleep and sleep. You have to cut the sleep and wake up and pray for your friend. Do you know there are some of your friends, it doesn't matter how you talk and talk and talk, they will never accept Jesus. Except you go on your knees and pray for them. There are some that you may not even have to talk to them. You just have to say, this whole month of June, this friend of mine, Lord Jesus, I know. Now I have the authority to decide about anybody's destiny for Jesus. And so this month of June, it is this friend. I am praying she has to come to Christ. Her eyes need to be opened. Let her begin to suddenly be concerned about her eternal destiny. You saying you are praying, Lord, I want my friend to begin to be concerned about her eternal destiny. Your friend who never had talked to you about heaven or hell, as you begin to pray, all of a sudden, you see, they begin to ask you questions. So is heaven real? Is hell real? Then you see that your prayers are working. And the demons that blocked her mind are running away. That's how come she's able to ask you those questions. Are you with me? Are you, are you being blessed? Are you learning something? So, the ecclesia is God's army. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Hadassah, read it for me. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Let's listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cos cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Amen. Uh, pay attention to this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, we do not wrestle. It means that we are wrestling. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness. Are you with me? What he's talking about, the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, those are not people. Those are spirit beings, demonic powers. These are the powers that put people into bondage. These are the powers that cause people to get engaged into abortion, into pornography, into sexual perversion of any kind that you can think of into um, what? Poverty, abject poverty in a way that causes people to be suicidal and to even deny God. All sorts of evil. These are the powers that do that. Right? He says, the cosmic power over this present darkness. So any sort of darkness that you see around you, like this 13-year-old this person that killed their friend, that's not normal. That's demonic. It's, it's, it's the devil at work. You know? And those people, they are being put into op oppression and bondage by the devil. And except you and I, who, do you think Jesus is going to come to deliver those people? No. Jesus has given us that authority. We are his representatives. 
So that whether it's your friend or my friend, we are the ones to engage in spiritual warfare to release such people. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the evil schemes of the enemy. That is the army of God. You and I are in that army. We are not to be afraid of the devil. In fact, the devil is afraid of us and he deceives us rather to be afraid of him. So what is the darkness that we must confront? I already talked about it. Poverty, addiction, sexual addiction, gambling, all sorts and forms of addiction that you can think of that people are engaged in. Sexuality or sexual perversion, homelessness, and in homelessness, is, is, the devil uses it to destroy people's lives. And God has placed the church here to make a difference. Racial inequality, disintegrated families. There are some families that you talk to some of the young ones in the family. Hey, are you listening? Yes. Some of the young ones, children in the family, they are confused. Even about their own identity. Because... The child's mother is the daughter of her father. What? 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 What's that? <laughs> the child's mother is the daughter of her father. What? The child, the child is a girl. Yes. What kind of messed up life is that? Exactly. What kind of messed up life is that? There are people like that. Because, because the father molested his own daughter and the pregnancy that came from it was the child. And so imagine a child like that. You're trying to talk to such a child about Jesus. Do you think they're going to listen to you? It takes God's power for somebody like that to even believe in Jesus because the, their whole life is messed up already. They can't even have an identity. You, how do I call him? My dad or my, grand, my grandpa? Right? So, and these are demonic things that the devil is doing to many people. That's just an example. But those, that's what I mean by disintegrated families. Divorce. Um, separation and all sorts of things that makes youth like us not want to have anything to do with God. The question they ask is, if God cared, why did he allow all this to happen? And it's the devil doing all this just so people will not come to Christ. You following me? And you and I, our responsibility is to be the church to those areas where the devil is doing his worst activity is to carry the church to the rock of the gods and say to the devil, we are the church that Jesus is building and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. We will overcome and deliver all those people from your hand. Are you following? Depression, mental illness. There are people who are involved in all sorts of mental illness that you have no idea of. Amen? That God is calling us to affect their lives positively because we are the ecclesia. Not just confined into a building that we just gather and have fun, go for camps and just enjoy ourselves and go for activities. But no, 
we make impact into people's lives whom the devil wants to destroy. Silently, quietly, without making any noise, but with full power. Do you get it? That's why we are, we are doing this series. I want you to watch this video. Sorry, my volume is not very high. I spot her on the strip. Can you hear? No? watched it but every time I watch it it's very heartbreaking you can see that you all heard it right yeah. you could hear it good she deep down in her heart she would want to be free you couldn't you hear it in her voice that she could she would want to be free but it's like she can't help it and that's the devil putting her into that bondage 
she's enslaved by demons and the powers of darkness. That's the gates of Hades that Jesus is talking about. The devil destroying people's lives. And we have that power to set her free. But we just sit here with that power, just sing and dance and go home. And people like that, their lives are being destroyed. And all it will take is for us to carry that power to where they are and not be scared, not be afraid, knowing that Jesus is with us. You can make a difference in somebody's life. That's why the Ecclesia question there is, can the church make a difference? Can you make a difference in somebody like that's life? Or you can just look at someone like that and it's like, it's up to them. It's not up to them. That's why we know Jesus. And I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. But guess what? If we put our resources together, what I am scared of to do by myself, what you are scared of to do by yourself, we encourage each other. We master courage. Pray Jesus with us. We can change people's lives one life at a time. Do you believe it? You can affect somebody's life because you know Jesus. Let's read this scripture here and now read it for me. Loud Arabic. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer them, him, answer him saying, Lord, when when did um, we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see when when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into an eternal life prepared for the devils and his angels. Um, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will, um, will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and you did not minister and, and did not minister you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. Amen. Jesus expects us to make a difference in those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are sick, those who are deprived, those who are in bondage, in whatever way, however we can, there is something that we can do. And he will hold us accountable in that power that he has given us as being the ecclesia. 
He has his full power of heaven behind us. That's why he said to the disciples, if two of you will agree as doing anything on earth, it will be agreed in heaven. What he's saying, that's the authority that the ecclesia has. We can decide that we are refusing for any of our friends that we know in our class that none of those people should go to hell. We can decide that. And you can agree with your classmate who is also a Christian and say, let's begin to pray for our class. We don't want any of our classroom people to go to hell. Every Monday, we will fast from 6 to 12. We'll just pray for our classroom people. Jesus, save them. Jesus, don't let them perish. Jesus, reveal yourself to them. And just praying. You're just praying for them. Jesus will touch their lives. You may, not, you, you may not be bold to go talk to them, but you can be bold in your room, crying out to God for them. And somehow, God will let them come to you asking you, there's something I see about you. I don't know, but I want it. I want the same thing you have. And then you can invite them to a retreat. You can invite them to camp. You can invite them to church. And say, I don't know how to explain it to you, but you come with me. My pastor will talk to you about it. That's how we make a difference. Amen? We're praying. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim over all of us the blessing of the Lord. May you be blessed as you go out from this place into wherever you will go this week in your class. May you be God's ecclesia, his representative that makes a difference. I speak God's protection over you. May you be protected from all evil that is planned for your life this week. I cover you with the blood of Jesus. I decree that you will be the head only and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath. In the name of Jesus, you will be set apart to make a difference in your generation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Shall we be on our feet as we share the grace? Now, as we are sharing the grace, we will end it with, and I will be God's ecclesia wherever I am. Amen.